0: When the crowd got too big, he would say some hard things. And today, it's no accident that we've probably got our biggest crowd here at Frost Elementary. And we will say some hard things. Um, So, uh, we're glad that you're here. As you uh, can know, we will be in two passages today, uh, both in Matthew 5 and in Luke 18, as they just read. Um, If you are joining us for the first time, we're so glad that you're here. We are honored by your presence, either online or in person. Um, Truly, when I say that... (laughs) That is uh, truly our sincerest posture towards you. We are honored that you are here. You only get one of these days a week, and you spend it with us, so we're grateful. Um, Hey, so we have spent the last couple of Sundays um, really working through the introduction of Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew 5 through 7 in a series that we're calling the Gospel of the Kingdom, and everything's upside down in this kingdom because Jesus comes, and he flips everything upside down, and he says things like the blessed life The the life of human flourishing is one of persecution. And that's not something that we like. That's not something that's normal for us. The blessed life, the, the life of human flourishing comes along with those that are mourning, with those that are meek, with those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They're not yet satisfied with righteousness. They are hungry and thirsty for Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the kind of blessed life that Jesus is defining as He comes and He preaches the gospel of the kingdom all throughout the, uh, the, the nation of Israel, all throughout Galilee, all throughout the Decapolis, Matthew 4 would say. And last week we talked about our identity, if you're a disciple of Jesus, our identity, this is who we are, of salt salt. And light. And there's two things converging today, really three things converging today. One is our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. The other one was providentially, the ladies just went away on a women's retreat on the salty women's retreat where they just got back yesterday. You see these salty shirts. They were down in Galveston, which is always salty. And this is the passage that they laid out months ago. We're also uh, in a series or we're joining a bunch of other churches throughout the city, which I'll talk about a little bit later in our time together. But here's what I know. Jesus is putting on for us a new identity of salt and light. He is declaring who we are, and he's also warning against becoming useless in our saltiness and in our lightness. He says that in the passage that we read in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, that you become useless as the light when you go hide under a lamp. Or you go hide under a bowl. You become useless as the salt when it's just tossed out and good for nothing. It no longer brings the flavor out of the earth as God once intended for us. There is a right way and a wrong way to live out of this identity. And today's sermon, I'm just going to be really candid with you from the get-go. If it's half as difficult to listen to today as it has been to prepare for for the last two weeks, we're all in for a real treat. All right, because this is going to be a rough one, but it's going to be a good one. I think we need it because it is a necessary conversation that we need to enter into as the church, as the big C church, much less this church in this cultural moment. And you might ask yourself, what is this cultural moment? Have you looked around? Have you Have been on Facebook or social media at all? Have you have you have you? I didn't get the opportunity to watch the debates because I was coaching baseball, or was it softball? I don't really know. They all kind of flood back together. This is the cultural moment we're in, right? It's an election season. Our world is, un- is at unrest. There's all sorts of things that are happening, but the cultural moment that we're in right now is the moment in which the church is so divided over so little. we lost lost the, the, the ability to discern first things and tenth things. I'm not even talking about second things. I'm talking about first things and tenth things. We've lost our ability to disagree without demonizing one another. And we have certainly divided, and we see this division over racial injustices. We're going to talk more about that as we get closer here. But first, we need to understand this. like If we lose our ability to enter into these spaces as the salt and light, we become useless in our identity. So what I'm asking all of us to do is to kind of think about the two passages that were just read. Number one, we are salt. We are light. We are to be people of flavor and illumination. And there's also another parable out there where we could get things wrong if we, if we uh, relate with God out of a pharisaical heart. We're going to talk about all those as we go. So here's my question as we get going. If Jesus were here in this cultural moment, which I just talked about, some of the things that are kind of flying at us on a daily basis. If Jesus were here where the truth is being hijacked by every YouTube conspiracy theory, y'all see those, right? They're here, they're amongst us. Side note, this is not in the sermon notes. Side note, if you don't know about QAnon, they're starting house churches all over the nation. And it's conspiracy theory to overthrow the government because they're all a bunch of pedophiles. And they're using house churches as their strategy. They're gonna get elected into Congress, many think, in Georgia and in places of the South. If you don't know this stuff, it's gonna be on us. If you don't know it now, I'm letting you know now. That's conspiracy theory stuff that the, the idea of truth is being hijacked by someone's YouTube channel and some cool graphics. That's what's happening in our nation. We've lost the ability to trust institutions. Some of that's their fault. And so we've made up our own truths about all sorts of things. And, and the coronavirus has just amplified what we want. We want control. And so we'll go to anything that makes sense, anything that may be new, that might connect some dots. But truly, Jesus is the person of truth. And he has come to set us right, and he will do so today. But if he was here in this moment where politicians are taking center position in our minds and our hearts, where competing racial narratives are clouding our ability to see our fellow image bearers as image bearers of God. In this moment, if Jesus shows up in this room or in your home later on and He asks you, I want you to live as salt and light, what would you do? What would you pursue in this cultural moment as the salt and the light? Because that's where I'm going back to as salt and light in this moment. With this culture With this kind of amount of crazy that's floating around, and it's just inundating 24-7. Did you ever get to the point in your life where you thought TV was going to be a healthy option for your diet of media? I never would have thought that TV would have been the better option rather than social media. TV is healthy for you. That's That's like calling pizza a vegetable. They did call it that. You don't know that. Anyways. So here we are, right? As we move forward, let's look at, at, at Matthew 5 and Luke 18, and let's help us understand how does the parable of the, uh, of the tax collector and the Pharisee help us, how does it help us apply being the salt and light in this cultural moment? I'm so glad you asked. Here we go. In Luke 18, in chapter 9, this starts this whole process, right? And here's what I want us to understand to get as we get going. Your gospel, you can write this down, you can memorize it, you can take a picture of it, I don't care. This is important stuff. Your gospel reflects your God. Your gospel reflects your God. So, for instance, we've got two people in the story of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. First one is the Pharisee in Luke 9. Luke makes it a huge uh, point to say, this is something that Jesus told, this is their gospel to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. The gospel that the, of the Pharisee is someone who trustes, tr- trustes? trusts in their own goodness to be right with God. These are the people, right? These are the people that do all the right things. They are law-abiding citizens. They stand for what is right. They are grateful that God has made them so awesome. You ever been around this person? You know, the one who always has an opinion, that can never be wrong. And they usually have very few friends that are following them. That's what it says in the scriptures. It says they were in the temple standing alone, as if to say no one can stand next to the Pharisee. Their holiness is way too good for anybody else to come near them. That's the gospel of the Pharisee. They fast twice a week. They give more than required. And they say, look at me, God, I'm killing it. My church Church attendance is killer. I'm giving 12%. I know you only want 10, but I'm at 11 and a half and I'm rounding up. You see this, God? I'm killing it over here. These are the self-made people, the ones who who have the mantra of pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps and they neglect to see how they stand on the shoulders of giants. This gospel of Pharisee is reflecting a God of merit, a God of earning. And, And that God rewards good people. It is a gospel of merit where this God rewards good people. And I'm just going to say right now, this is in us. This is in all of us, right? That we want to believe that we're good by nature, but the Bible says that we're not. So God rewards good people would be a good statement if there were good people. But they're not. We all need then something else to come and rescue us. It's no wonder then that that's one gospel reflecting a God of merit. A gospel of God rewarding good people. And then there's another gospel that's being laid out in Luke 18, and it is this, the tax collector, right? The tax collectors in those days, they would they would they they were freely within their rights to take taxes from their countrymen. Where they went wrong is where they took advantage of their rights and took advantage of their countrymen by taking more taxes than were necessary, therefore making themselves a little bit richer and a little bit richer over time. So a tax collector walks into the temple and realizes they are sinners through and through, and they realize they cannot stand alone. Instead, they, start, they stand far off in the temple, ashamed of their sin, um, humbled by their status before a holy God. And when they do, they can only cry out to God and say, God, have mercy on me, sinner. You See, that gospel, that gospel reflects not a God of merit, but a God of mercy. And that God of mercy doesn't, doesn't reward good people, although that's probably true in there somewhere. Instead, primarily, that God, with that gospel of mercy, that God rescues sinners. See, that's the God of the gospel, the God of the tax collector, the God of the one that the Pharisee called you know all sorts of names along the way. That's the God that we serve, the God who gives mercy to sinners. So therefore, we are, we are caught at a, at a decision point. Are we going to stand on our own merit? Or are we going to stand on the merit of Jesus? Are we going to stand on our own goodness and believe in our own righteousness? Or are we going to believe in the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus? See, this is before us in this cultural moment as we start to think about salt and light here and now. His gospel reflected a God of mercy, a God who rescues sinners. Now, I just said your gospel reflects your God. Second point. Your God is reflected in how you treat others. How you treat others reflects what you believe about God. Your God is reflected then in how you treat others. Again, look at the Pharisee. He was one that not only trusted in themselves as for righteousness, but then they treat others with contempt. If you stand on your own righteousness, the only choice is to blame and demonize other people who are different than you. Why? Why? Because you got to get credit. You got to be right, not only before God, but because that's how you stand right before God, it's definitely how you have to stand right before others. So there's contempt, there's condemnation, there's blame, there's anyone who disagrees is demonized. This is the world that we're in, are we not? This is the world that we're in, right? This is, Pharisees look at their own holiness as the standard, not God's, and therefore they label others through stereotypes, prejudices, and straw man arguments. Y'all know what I'm talking about with straw man arguments? I realize this is like heavy thinking already, right? But we're gonna be all right. This right. We're not on the deep end yet. We're still on the shallow end for today. Straw man arguments. So I think, is there a social media post that's gonna come up? Yep, yep, good. So I think this is, um, this is a great example. One of our elders uh, sent this to me or, or mentioned this this week. This is a straw man argument. I prefer mangoes to oranges. Oh, well, so basically what you're saying is that you hate oranges, you also failed to mention pineapples, bananas, and grapefruits. Educate yourself. That's a straw man argument where you take someone's statement, bring it to an entirely different thing, ex- make it extreme, and you don't disagree with the person's statement. Now you're disagreeing with some other thing that they actually never said. That's a straw man argument. That's the world we're in. We are breathing this air And we need to kind of call it out for what it is in the church. If nowhere else, goodness, it's got to be in the church. If we're going to be people that follow the truth, guided by the spirit of truth, then we need to be aware of the lies that we're believing so that we can continue to follow the person of truth. That must be a part of us. But in this Uh, this, This idea and this ideology, disagreement becomes treason and anathema, and you cut the people out that disagree with you because God doesn't tolerate that kind of behavior, and neither will you. Because God, again, is rewarding good people. But the tax collector, the God that's being reflected through the tax collector in direct contrast to the Pharisee, is a tax collector who is, again, far off. They realize that God has seen him at his worst. Listen now, Christian, this is for us. They they realize that God has seen him at his worst, right? And forgiven him or her. Therefore, it allows them to be freed up to confess their worst and repent of their worst in the midst of true believing community. So then you don't have to fake it anymore. You don't wear masks. And I'm not talking about the masks that we're wearing in here. I'm talking about the masks that we put before people as if to appear better than we really are. We can't do that with God. He's seen us at our worst, so we're then freed up to be our worst with others, confess our worst with others, and realize, man, I don't have to fake it with them because they believe in the same God that I don't have to fake it with. Who you believe, your God, is reflecting in how you treat others. You see, for the tax collector, being wrong, admitting that you're wrong, and believing the truth is a normal part of the Christian life. Hopefully you're tracking with me still so far. Here's the things I've said so far. Your gospel reflects your God. You believe that in a God of merit, you will stand on your own righteousness, and there's danger in that. If you believe in a God of mercy, you will realize that you need God's righteousness and you will stand on his mercy. Also, your God is reflected in how you treat others. All right. Now, how do we apply this in this cultural moment with assault and light. And this is where it's going to get super awkward. Y'all ready? I've been known as the king of awkward. I will live up to that today. So here we go. Though I'm going to focus on one thing, I'm going to only focus on one thing. This can be spread out amongst all the things that I've mentioned of conspiracy theories, of politics, and of race, and many other things. Right? But these are the things that are kind of competing for our affection and our attention in this moment. And so I would love to take some time to talk through um, how the truth, the person of truth, help reorient us around him and not our favorite conspiracy theory. So we got to check sources. Okay, I just going to speak. Y'all remember Lexus Nexus? Anybody remember Lexus Okay, remember when the internet was invented, and then you would try and go to like the internet, some random site to to like support an argument that you were making in college or whenever that was. Remember that? And then you would turn that paper in and your professor would go, hey, that's an internet size site and it's not worthy of being put in a research paper because it's not reliable. Y'all remember when the internet was not reliable? Y'all remember that? And we had LexisNexis where you put reliable sources and you had to have access to it in a code and you can only get to it if you're like a college student or, or part of some research system, right? We need LexisNexis for social media. That's what we need. That's what we need, but we're not going to get it, so we have to use our brain. So I wish we could talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. I wish we could talk about politics, but just for a moment, I'm going to talk about politics. Okay, it isn't going to hurt. I know where we are, and I know why we need this. Okay, look. I've written this sermon 18 times, and I'm probably going to rewrite it right now. But here's the reality, right? If we fly the Trump or Biden flag over our home, it won't matter in four and a half years. It is very temporary. It is very temporary to be so attached to humans. It, 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 here's what I know about politics. It's like being an A&M fan. I know you're excited now, but are you really still excited? Because on Friday, you were excited. You had all the hopes in the world. You're like, baby, Vanderbilt is behind us. We're going to go get into Alabama. We're going to kick their butts. And then what happened? You you realize you're an A&M fan. And all your hopes of humanity got dashed because they're in humanity. That's what politics is like. You think this is going to be the year. This is going to be the one that fixes it. And then A&M football shows up and you realize it's still Alabama and they're still going to kick our butt. Johnny football was there a long time ago. We're still talking about Johnny football. Who knows? Right? Are we flying the, king, the flag of surrender of the king and his kingdom or are we giving up that primary identity of following Jesus to follow someone else. And here's the rub. All right, so I told you it was going to get awkward. Here's the rub. If you primarily identify yourself as a Republican, if you primarily rep- uh, identify yourself as a Democrat, primarily, I want you to hear the word primarily. This is the core of my identity. And this would be the th- same thing that I would say for anybody. If you put anything at the core of your identity beyond Jesus, besides Jesus, we're in trouble. Because we now we're, we're loyal to uh, red or blue instead of King Jesus. Right? So so Republicans, we love people. And the way that, that Republicans love people is by, by caring for the unborn. But the refugee, meh. And we, we, we Democrats, we love people. And the way that we love people is by loving the refugee. But the unborn, meh. You see what happens if you put yourself in one camp or another? Primarily, we all of a sudden can't love all the people like God calls us to love all the people. So we have to be careful here, especially in the South, especially in Pecan Grove, especially in Richmond, Texas. I'm starting to sweat because it's going to get awkward. Y'all ready? I don't want to talk about politics. Isn't that fun? I don't want to talk about conspiracy theories. What I think is most prevalent in this cultural moment is to talk about race. Oh, that's going to get awkward. I am landing here for two reasons. Number one, it's a necessary conversation for this church. Number two, it is a necessary conversation for this nation. And all over the city, there are pastors and churches who are undergoing a series on God and race. And we are integrating it into the Sermon on the Mount today. I want to stand with my black and white and brown brothers and sisters in this cultural moment because we need to hear it. And what do we need to hear? That all people are made in the image of God. Can you agree with that? Yes. Let's talk back now today. That's good. Look, all people are made in the image of God. We can agree to this. So it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter if you're born or unborn. You matter, you deserve dignity and kindness and respect, right? Because you bear God's image. There's some beauty in that. And it should, it should call us to some sort of responsibility to treat one another with beauty and kindness and decency and respect, if nothing else other than they are made in the image of God. You agree with this? Now, how about those that vote for Biden? How about those that vote for Trump how about those that are black lives matter how about those that are all lives matter or blue lives matter do they deserve the same decency and respect and kindness because they disagree with you yes now we're getting down to where we live right now it's a little bit challenging and now it's like okay this is going to be different Yes, we got we to understand that those that are different than us still believe and still maintain the, the same decency that you deserve of the image of God being with you and in you. That's what you're created with. So, here's what I know. We have a history, and I'm talking about people of faith right now. We have a history of not exactly clinging to this idea that we all deserve dignity and respect, based on God's image, and we have a history, spiritual history, of of dividing one another over over race. So I'll just point out a couple, like in the Scriptures. Um, In Numbers 12, this is going to blow your mind, right? In Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron go to Moses, and they start to accuse him. His brother and sister, flesh and blood, start to accuse Moses. Why do they start to accuse him in Numbers 12? You can go back and check this. They say, because he married a Cushite woman. Now, do you know where the Cushites are from? Ethiopia. She was African. She was a black girl. And he married her. And they had a problem with that, and they made it a point of distinction that it was a racial argument that they were making that Moses shouldn't be listened to because he had an interracial marriage. Now, I want you to understand, before you start getting into this, oh, well, they weren't supposed to intermarry. The Cushites were not listed as the, as a uh, part of the nations that were forbidden in uh, Deuteronomy 7. You can go check all this stuff back out later, or maybe your neighborhood group later. That's number one. Number two, when Jesus announced that he was the anointed Messiah to start his ministry in Luke 4, everyone was cool with him saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. They were good. They were fine. Until he says, and I'm going to take this to the Gentiles. And if you read Luke 4, 28 and 29, it says they were filled with wrath and they wanted to throw him off the cliff. Why? Not because he said he was the Messiah, but because he said he wasn't just for the Jews. It's now going to include everybody. That's a racial, racially charged environment in that moment. They wanted to throw Jesus, the anointed Messiah that they just were cool with, off the cliff. In John 4, the first person whom he re- Jesus reveals his true identity to was a Samaritan woman. Not just, not just a, a, a woman, but a Samaritan woman; she becomes the first missionary to go win over her city. Was a Samaritan woman, right? This is someone outside of the circle of understood uh, acceptance. To her, he brings his whole caravan of disciples, not around Samaria but through it, just to meet this one woman on this one day at this one well. And his disciples freaked out. They're like, "What are you doing talking to her? She's a woman, and she's Samaritan. What are you doing?" They freaked out because of the racial tensions that Jesus was leading them into. He does the same thing when they asked him, like, who is my neighbor, right? In Luke 10. And he gives them the parable of the good Samaritans. Like three people have read that one, apparently. I thought that was going to be a thing that we would know. The good Samaritans. That was outrageous that he would say to a Jewish Levite and a priest that it wasn't them they were good neighbors. It was the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan. Tensions are all throughout the scriptures. Peter, when he's in Galatia, Galatians 2, we went through this, we went through the book of Galatians. He's hanging out with his Gentile boys until the Jews show up and then he shrinks back from the Gentiles. And what does Paul do? Hey man, your life is out of step with the gospel. Your racial prejudice is out of step with the gospel. Woo, that's heavy, man. He continues on, right? We see this in, in, in Peter's life. We see it in all the disciples' life. And we see some intentionality on Jesus' part to come and rescue the entire world out of systems that simply do not work. And instead, inviting them into the kingdom where we can flourish by God's design. Remember, your gospel reflects your God. And if you don't think God loves all people, He died for all sorts of different kinds of people, from every nation, from every tongue, from every, uh, from every gender identity. He also died for them. Everyone that ruffles our feathers, he died for them. Republican and Democrat, maskers and anti-maskers. I didn't know that was going to be a thing coming into 2020. Let's be real honest with you. I do not know that we're going to have people that are maskers or anti-maskers. He died for both of them too, for blue lives matter, for black lives matter, for all lives matter, all people he died for. And if we don't get our minds straight around that kind of God of mercy, significant, infinite mercy, we will demonize other people that disagree with us. So let's bring this to where we live. And, and I'm just pleading with you to listen with discernment and humility. This is a conversation we all need to have and i'm kind of forcing this conversation today um, because we need it um so i'm in process i'm in process i think i told you guys this over the summer i remember saying it on the camera and i remember going oh gosh did i just tell them that i slept underneath a confederate flag growing up didn't know any better didn't know any better that was over my bed didn't know any better right i slept underneath that flag As if to say, this is our heritage, this is our history, this is something to cling to. And and over time, that's like, you know, 14, 15, I'm older now. Over time, there's a process of repentance and there's a process of shedding away different ideas that just don't fit with the gospel. Okay, I grew up uh, a minority, uh, a majority minority. I grew up in a high school that was 70% Hispanic, about 15% white and about 10% black, and then 5% everything else. So I grew up in a world that's just different than what we're in now. When I went, first went to A&M, I remember the, one of the first things that I thought when I got on campus was, whoa, there's a lot of white people here. And that was a white guy. I noticed, because that was my upbringing, it was totally different than what I'm in right now. And I tell you all that to, know, to tell you, I'm in process in on this too. I don't wanna ever have you think I'm speaking from a pharisaical heart, because I'm not. I'm speaking to you from a, from a heart of humility, and of one of repentance, of one of who's come through this and started to understand. Like, for instance, a few years ago when Black Lives Matter started, my first instinct inside of me, confession time. Remember, the God of mercy allows me to just confess my worst to you. What was in me was, oh, I'll stink on that. All lives matter. That was what was in me. Okay, that was years ago. But over a series of events, over lots of conversation with my black friends and some Hispanic friends, I've come to realize that's an arrogant position. Whoa, careful. It is. Okay, and here's here's the deal, right? And we're going to get into this just a little bit. This is like right where we're living right now. Okay, here's why. Because we don't want to hear about systemic injustices. We don't want to hear about systemic racism. We don't want to hear about any of that. And we usually go, oh, come on. It's been years. Get your life together. Again, something I've thought in my past. But having sat down with our elders, like Sway, two weeks ago we met and I said something and he goes, Hey man, you can't say that as a white dude. What? Come on, man. What do you mean I can't say that? And he's like, No, you can't say that as a white dude. I was like, Okay. And then another elder was like, Why can't he say that? I'm, I'm confused as he is. So I called a black pastor friend of mine, Blake Wilson, who's who's charging this, this wonderful thing that's happening all throughout our city today. I said, Hey man, can I say this as a white man? He goes, No, you can't say that as a white thank you. I didn't know, so I texted Host Wayne. I said, Hey man, I know I'm not a racist, but I apologize. Like we good. He's like, We're good. Also, I know you're not a racist too, so we're good. But I'm still processing through things that I don't know are wrong in me. And one of them being this politically charged black lives, blue lives, all lives, right? I need to here's one of the things that helped me process recently. I went to a conference, I mean By 150 pastors, black, white, brown, whoever is there to hear about this series and this movement on God on race. And they run through this history that refreshed my memory and gave me new eyes. So I'm gonna give us just a little bit of history of our country so we can understand why we're in this mess. Okay, In, in 1619, 20 slaves were brought here from Angola, Africa. 20 slaves were brought here in 1619 for the very first time. And they landed in Jonestown, Virginia. Slavery was illegal from that moment for 246 years. I don't think we grasped that number. Slavery was legal until 1865 for 246 years. After slavery was abolished, what happened? Vagrancy laws were written, making it illegal to not have a job. Other laws were written by white legislators to make it illegal to have mischief or disrespect towards police. So the same black males that were set free from the plantation were picked up by the police. You want to see why there's some distrust? Because it's deep in our history. They were picked up by the police. They were then brought back to jail and then put back on the plantation as now legal slaves to the state. That's Fort Bend County, y'all. That's what's going on at Fort Bend ISD in Sugar Land. Slaves that were enslaved by the state here and then buried there. That was the big controversy when that building was being built. That's here, that's not somewhere out there. That's here and that's now. There were Jim Crow laws that were written as a result of all this by again, white legislators segregating the country into black and white through prejudice practice such as redlining, they they, they blocked black communities, access to employment, home ownership, education, and religious ceremonies for another 89 years until 1954, which actually was when it was all abolished, but it was still enforced until 1965. The Civil Rights Movement. We have legally now been integrated as a country for about 70-ish years, 65-75 years. Out of 411, so if I go 76 years we've been integrated, out of 411 since 1619, that's 18% of our history. That That's longer than our our country has actually been a country. We have a long history of systemic injustices that whether we like it or not, we need to look at with new eyes through the voices and through the perspectives of of our minority brothers and sisters. And if you're a minority and a brother and sister, help us understand. We want to listen. I want to listen to you. That's a conversation we need in the church. We don't need in the church, oh, well, you're too white and you're too black and I'm out. We don't need that. That's not the picture of heaven that we see with every tribe and tongue and language around the throne of God, worshiping Him forever. We don't need to be segregated. We don't need to be divided. Instead, God came in the form of Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 2 said, He broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between black and white and brown and and, and Asian and whomever else you want to throw into the spectrum. He broke that down by becoming our peace. So this people should by all means, of all people, be able to sit down and have a conversation that's, that's truly fueled by the gospel. By the God of peace. So why do I tell you all this? Because this cultural moment is a country where now our opinions are being shaped and therefore polarized by social media algorithms. Your opinions are being shaped by algorithms. Go watch social The Social Dilemma. By algorithms, not people. You're being put into an echo chamber where they just want you to keep uh, engaging in the platform. They don't care if it's truth or not. We are being shaped by these things. We are in a world of half truth, conspiracy theories, and in order to be the salt and the light, I use this one example of race to illustrate that followers of Jesus who long to flourish in the kingdom. We go back to the Beatitudes. Who are we? We are those who mourn. We are those who who are meek and humble. We are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness. Not after other things, but after righteousness. This is what we see in our culture. It is a culture longing for the church to be the church. To establish justice and righteousness on the earth by God's power. That's what the world is looking at and wondering when it's going to happen. And they're looking to politics. They're looking to conspiracy theories. looking at other things because we've taken a back seat. Our world is falling apart because of misplaced hope of trusting in the capabilities of humans and not in the God of all gods and the King of all kings. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from this point with all of this in our minds? We go back to the gospel that the tax collector believed. The gospel of the tax collector, again, was believing in a God of mercy, not one of merit. And that God of mercy then allows him to repent, allows him or her to to be humble and to be able to not only relate to God that way, but be able to relate to all people in that way. Because we believe that God rescues sinners, we identify as that sinner and we can approach others with humility because we have done nothing to earn acceptance with God. We are the extortioner that, that the Pharisee says. Look what he says right here. I'm standing by myself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this little tax collector right here. We are the tax collector. We are the adulterer. We are the unjust. We are the extortioner. doesn't matter what race we are or what ethnicity we are, what nation we came from. That's us. We are wholly dependent upon Jesus for forgiveness as a result. So therefore we believe. I go back to this. Everyone, every human deserves respect based on the fact that they are made in the image of God. We believe that Jesus came to die for all kinds of people, especially those that disagree with us. Right? He called to make us he calls us to make disciples of all nations, not just the ones that vote like us or look like us or love like us, of all nations. So I have a question right here, right? If you're a Trump supporter or if you're a Biden supporter, Do you want the other person that you disagree with to come to know Jesus? Yes. Do you think they're going to want to know Jesus if the first thing they see about you is your political preference? No. You are putting a stumbling block in front of them that is not the gospel. The gospel is the stumbling block. The gospel is the offensive message of you're not good enough, Jesus is good enough, believe in him, and all will be saved. That's the stumbling block. Not who we're going to vote for in a couple weeks. Who in four years won't matter. We'll be voting for somebody else. We'll have somebody else's sticker on our truck or flag on our house. Right? That's what we'll do. So what do we do now as people of salt and light? What does this look like? Four things as we end, and these are going to be rapid fire. I know you all like that phrase, rapid fire. Here we go. Number one, be humble. You have no righteousness of your own. It has only been given to you by God's grace. Number two, be repentant. No one is aware of how wrong they are until they are shown that they are wrong. Isn't that the crazy part? You don't know how wrong you are until you've been shown how wrong you are. So maybe we're wrong. Maybe we can uh, approach postures with humility and repentance that maybe there's some things that our views about race and politics and truth could be out of step with the gospel. It could be. we need to submit ourselves like I did with Josue or like my friend Blake. And I was like, hey man, can I say this as a white guy? No, you can't say this as a white guy. Okay, my bad, backing up. Can we do that? Can we have humility and repentance? Third, be spiritual. You are the salt and light. You're not bitter and angry. Salt produces bitterness. Light produces heat. He didn't say be bitter and angry. Come on, Christians. We're salt and light. We're not bitter and angry. So let's rediscover the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's in us if the spirit of God is in us. And then finally, follow Jesus, y'all. He's the only one worth following. He's the only one that has the power to save. He's the only one that says, I am the truth. I don't reflect the truth. I am the person and the personification of what truth looks like. So let's give up all other Gospels. Let's give up all other gods. Let's give up all other ideologies for the sake of following Jesus. The very middle of this Bible is Psalm 118.8, and it says, it is better for a man to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Let us be people that take refuge in the Lord. Quit trusting in ourselves for righteousness. Or Quit trusting in someone else to provide for us that which God already has provided in his son Jesus. And now, for those who have ears to hear Let them hear. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We know you love us. We want to be people of curiosity, not condemnation. We want to be people about about being curious about people's story and about their opinions and about their 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 voting record and about what was it like to grow up in America as a black man or a black woman or a white man or a white woman. What's that like? Let's just sit back and listen, Lord. Give us the humility, the repentance, the spiritual fruit of self-control so that we may follow Jesus as we enter into these awkward spaces. Difficult spaces. Uncomfortable spaces for the sake of Your name. Lord, You say in Your Word that one man went down justified and the other one just didn't. There's, There's no greater stakes to be had at living out the salt and the light than realizing that this is a matter of salvation for people, that we would live as salt and light so that the world may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. Salt and light couldn't be more relevant in this day, right now, Lord, help us. Help us in this cultural moment to engage with humility and repentance with the goal of bearing spiritual fruit. Wherever we have gone wrong in these matters of truth and politics and race, Lord, help us, help us see. O Spirit of truth, reveal the truth to us so that we can live out the truth and believe the truth about you, about ourselves, and about others. We're going to be guided by lies or half-truths. We want the whole truth from you, O Lord. That may guide us and shape us. That means we have to repent or we believe in lies. We can't do it without you. This is an impossible task without your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, Guide us, comfort, convict, and counsel along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.